Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 12 through 17. This is God's word. Please give it your full attention. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Well, as you've seen this morning, we've been focusing upon God's concern for the orphan and how that should really motivate us to also be a church family that has a heart for the orphan. That we should be a church family that strongly supports the ministries of foster care and adoption. But we are never going to twist your arm to do something that is such a huge life-transforming commitment. We want to see people care deeply about this ministry because of what God has done for them. And that's why we look at the theology behind adoption, our own adoption. In 1 John chapter 4, John says, we love because he first loved us. We love the orphan because God first loved us when we were spiritual orphans, cast out, abandoned, without hope and without God. One of the top five books that I ever recommend to anybody, and if you haven't read this book, I would strongly recommend you read it before you die. That book is called Knowing God. It's by J.I. Packer. And in that book, he devotes not just a whole chapter to the theology of adoption, a very long chapter. One of the longer chapters in the book is devoted to adoption. And it's honestly one of the best things I've ever read on the subject. In that chapter, he gives a definition of a Christian, and this is how he defines a Christian. He says, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as his father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Father is the Christian name for God. That's a radical idea in our culture. People would say, oh, all people, if, you, if they believe in a God at all, they say, well, all people are created by God, so all people are children of God, but that's not what the Word of God teaches. Only those who come to God through his Son, his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, can call upon him as Father. Packer, in that chapter, he points out that 
the privilege of calling God our Father is what makes the New Testament an improvement upon the Old Testament. The Old Testament is perfect. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is the Word of God. But we believe in progressive revelation. We believe that throughout the history of mankind, God has more and more revealed himself through Scripture as it has been given to man through the prophets and the apostles. And in the Old Testament, Old Testament believers knew God, but the name that God gave to his Old Covenant people was the name Yahweh. The name Yahweh means I am that I am. It was a a mysterious, kind of cryptic name that he gave, but it, it spoke of his transcendence, spoke of his holiness, it spoke of his sovereignty, his self-sufficiency. And it was meant, it was meant to invoke in the heart of his people, it was meant to invoke a sense of awe and reverence before our creator and our judge and our redeemer. Jesus took that Old Testament teaching, he affirmed it, he assumed it, and then revealed more of who God is. And one of the most important things that Jesus revealed to us is that his followers were to call him Father. He taught us to pray, Our Father, who is in heaven. That was a radical idea in the days of Jesus when Jesus was on earth. Matter of fact, I saw a a comment in, in one of the things I read this week that It wasn't until the 10th century A.D., after Christ, that you have a written record of a Jewish leader speaking of God as Father. Because the Jewish people in the Old Covenant did not call him Father. They called him Yahweh. Jesus assumed God's holiness, but added this concept of an intimate relationship of a father and a child And of course, he would come, the reason he came was to provide the privilege of calling God as our Father. And here in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, it says, All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You receive the Spirit of adoption as sons. You, if you're a Christian this morning, you have received the Spirit of adoption as sons. Romans 8 teaches on two topics that we don't talk about enough in the church. One of them is the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 is all about the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, this doctrine of adoption, something we tend to pass over quickly when we talk about the order of salvation or how God saves us. But to Paul, it was life-changing to understand that we have been spiritually adopted by our Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 8, as I said, is all about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And according to Paul here in Romans 8, there's only two ways to live in this world. Everybody lives one way or the other. He says, either you're going to live by the flesh or you're going to live by the Spirit. You're going to live according to the flesh or you're going to live according to the Spirit. You're going to live a life led by the desires of the flesh or you're going to live a life led by the Holy Spirit of God. If you live according to the flesh, you live as a slave to sin. If you live by the Spirit, you live as a child of God. It's a huge difference among people. John Calvin once wrote that the first title of the Holy Spirit 
is the spirit of adoption. The first title. And what he means by that is the most important title. There are many names given to the Holy Spirit in Scripture, but the most important title is that he is the spirit of adoption. Because it speaks to his central mission, which is to help us understand what it means to be a child of God and then to live accordingly. What it means to be a child of God and then to live according to that self-image. We are children of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What an important ministry of the Spirit. That he continually, daily, drives home to us that message that we are children of God, what it means to be children of God, and what it means to the way that we live. And so let's talk about adoption, spiritual adoption. We had to be adopted in order to even know God. Because the scriptures teach us that we were born into this world abhorrent to a holy God. We were born dead in sin. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, by nature objects of wrath, without hope and without God in the world. Before a holy God, our creator, we had no status, no rights, and no hope. And because of the sin that we were born in, the sin of Adam that was accredited to us, and the sin nature that we were born with, and the sins that we committed from the first breath that we breathed, it made us an abomination in the sight of God. God cannot look upon sin. He is so pure and so holy. Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel in chapter 16, gives a picture of salvation, which is graphic, but transformative as you understand it. In Ezekiel 16, beginning in verse 1, let me read this portrayal of our state when God first found us by his grace. He says in verse 1, again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and I saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. Spiritually speaking, before God, we were bloody, dirty, cast out without anyone to show us compassion. That was our spiritual state because of our sin before our holy God. But he said to us, live. The Bible teaches that the only way to come into God's eternal family is by means of adoption because of our sin. In John chapter 1, the Apostle John says, But to all who did receive Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We were born of God and given the right to become children of God. When scripture calls adoption a right, it's talking about a legal status. 
a legal status before God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines adoption in this way. It says, adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. It's a legal right. No, we're talking about, not talking about the laws of man. We're talking about the laws of God. The same laws that condemned us to eternity without hope and without God. According to that law, we receive a legal right to be adopted. It's a change in legal status under the law of God. It's the second one that we actually receive in our salvation. You see, because our adoption is based upon an earlier legal action of God under the law of God where we are justified by faith alone. As sinners, we were guilty. We are under condemnation. But Christ came and died in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. He shed his blood to pay the price for the sins that we committed against this holy God. And our sin was transferred to him, imputed to him, and he paid the price in full. That's why he said it is finished as he died on the cross. And his righteousness then, as we believe in his atoning grace at the cross, his righteousness is transferred to us so that we are not only seen as innocent and forgiven, but we are seen as righteous in the sight of this holy God. This is a transfer of legal status from condemned for eternity for our sin to being forgiven, pardoned, and even righteous in the sight of God. That's justification, and we gain it by faith alone, the scriptures teach. We go in a moment, at the moment of faith, we go from being condemned to being pardoned, and from being pardoned to being actually righteous in the sight of God, as though we had never done anything wrong, as though we had always done everything right. But that only gives us the right to be citizens in the kingdom of God. God goes another step, a higher step in our salvation, and he adopts us into his family. And again, it's a change in legal status before the law of God. In Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. He died on the cross provided our salvation, not just so that we could be free as citizens in his kingdom, but so that we could be adopted into his family. J.I. Packer, in that chapter on adoption, he says, the highest privilege that God offers to us in the gospel is adoption. The highest blessing, the highest privilege that he offers to us is adoption. Justification is the basis of our adoption, so in a sense it's primary, it's foundational, it comes first, but the highest blessings come to us through the grace of adoption. Justification by faith alone satisfies the justice of God as our judge, but adoption satisfies the love of God as our Father. To be right with your your judge, your ultimate judge, before whom everyone will stand, to be right with him is incredible. It's wonderful. But to be loved and cared for by that same God as your heavenly father is far, far greater. It happens in a moment. It happens as a legal declaration. 
I have heard stories about adoptive families in our own congregation and other Christian families. And I always love to hear the story about when they go into that courtroom and the judge makes the legal declaration that those adopted children are now officially part of the family. Legally, before the law, they are as much a part of the family as any of the other children. It's such a special moment. I've seen pictures of the Groner family when they received their two adoptive sons. It was just a joyful, joyful time. That's the moment of conversion for a believer. That's what happens when we become a believer. In a moment, we are declared. At one moment, we're outside under condemnation, without hope, without life. And in the next moment, we have all the rights to be children of God because of his grace. Well, what are the benefits of adoption? That's really what Paul gets to here in Romans 8. Here in Romans 8, he is celebrating. Chapters 1 through 7 are all about the gospel. In great detail, Paul lays out for us how God saves us through Christ in Romans chapters 1 through 7. When he gets to chapter 8, he's basically saying, okay, now here's, here's what life looks like for those that are saved. And it's all about the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's all about the privileges that this spirit of adoption gives to us by God's grace. The first privilege is our eternal security. Adoption by God gives us eternal security. One of the things that is really striking to me is somebody who's kind of a, uh, spends a lot of time analyzing pop culture. It's one of my hobbies. I, I watch movies, I watch television, I read the, 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 the blogs. I, you know, I, I'm just I'm fascinated by how people outside of the church process things. And one of the things you'll find out is that everybody, that everybody around you wants to talk about their daddy issues. You don't believe me, watch a movie sometime. Every movie, it seems like, the main character has got daddy issues that he's got to resolve through somehow through the story. And we all, you know, we all identify with that because we all had sinful fathers. I don't care how good your father was. There are some great fathers out there. But every father is a sinner. And every father is going to damage their children because of their sin. And no relationship in your life is going to do more damage to your psyche than a father who, in one way or another, lets you down. And a lot of times what people really want from their father is acceptance. Many people spend their whole adult life trying to earn their father's acceptance. Even long after their fathers died, they're still trying to live their life to try to earn their father's approval and their father's acceptance as daddy issues. Adoption is the answer to that. Adoption by a heavenly father is what cures and heals us at the deepest part of our body, the deepest part of our soul. In verses 14 and 15, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. You see, the spirit of adoption does away with the spirit of fear. Fear of what? Fear of being lost. Fear of losing meaning, purpose. Fear of betrayal. Fear of rejection, ultimately. It eliminates fear from our relationship with God. That's what it, the spiritual adoption that Scripture talks about. That's what it does. It takes away fear from our relationship with God. 
Fear of not measuring up. Fear of being rejected. You see, the spirit of adoption takes away the fear of ever losing that father relationship with the God who created you. In chapter 8, verse 1, if you look back at verse 1, this whole great chapter began with the amazing declaration, legal declaration, before the law of God that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who have been adopted through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, that because he has given us of his spirit. There, he goes on to say, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That's the ministry of the spirit of adoption, is to get rid of that fear of rejection. To give us a deep, abiding sense of security in the love of our Father. In a relationship that cannot be taken away. I mean, my children, when they were young, daily would do many things to break my laws and some of God's laws. And yet they could never lose my status as my children. Because their status in my family, their status of being my children wasn't based on their behavior. And when I punished them, I didn't punish them as a judge. When a judge punishes, he makes sure you pay for what you've done. But when a father punishes you, he punishes you to teach you, to lovingly correct you, to spare you from the consequences of your own sins, the damage of your sins. That's why a father disciplines. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, that's how we are to understand any suffering that a believer goes through. If you're adopted as a child of God by the grace through Jesus Christ, if you're suffering, it's never because God is punishing you. Because Jesus took care of that at the cross. God never allows you to suffer as punishment for your sins. Otherwise, Jesus died for nothing. Anytime you suffer as an adopted child of God, it's because God loves you and he's teaching you. He's disciplining you. He's training you. He's conforming you to the image of our perfect older brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews 12 is about, beginning in verse 5. And have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you, you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This brings us great assurance. Our relationship, this great relationship that adoption provides for us is, can never be taken away by our sin, can never be taken away by our failures because it's not based on our behavior. It's not based on our, our choices. It's not based on anything in us. It's based upon what Christ did at the cross and it cannot be taken away. 
We belong to God. We are adopted by God according to Scripture because God chose us. Caleb Philman did not choose to be a Philman. Rob and Sarah chose Caleb to be his, their child. Their relationship with Rob and Sarah is based on a choice that's not Caleb's choice. It's his, his father's choice, his mother's choice. God chose us. And he chose us according to his goodwill and pleasure. That's what Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6 teaches. It says, he predestined us to be adopted. Think about that phrase. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And God never makes a mistake. He never takes back a choice. And your adoption is based on his sovereign choice. Yes, the spirit of adoption, part of his mission is to, over the course of our lives, once we've experienced that legal status change where we become children of God, the job of the spirit of adoption is to teach us what it means to be a child of God and how to live that out and how that transforms our life. But our relationship with God is not based upon that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It's based upon the finished work of Christ. That's what our adoption is based upon, and that gives you incredible and eternal security. The second thing we receive, according to Paul, is that we receive an eternal inheritance. Verse 17. If we are children, he says, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. John Murray, writing about it, the, the doctrine of adoption, he says, What is Christ's inheritance by right has become ours by grace. But understand that we gain that right to inheritance by grace, but it is still our legal right because Christ has met the legal requirements. Christ's eternal inheritance is based upon his obedience even to the point of death on a cross. And our eternal inheritance is based upon Christ's obedience even to the point of death on a cross. And boy, are we rich. How, you know, what would it be like to be Elon Musk's child, you know, or Bill Gates' child? You know, think how rich you would be. Think how you wouldn't have to worry, you know. That all turns to dust and blows away at the moment you die. But your inheritance, no matter what your circumstances in this life, your inheritance is so much richer than that. You have the inheritance of a perfect soul and a perfect body. You have the inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth and all that that, we don't even have any idea what that looks like. But it's our inheritance. We will reign with Christ for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. But far better than that, we have the inheritance of the immediate presence of the glory of God, of the face of God that we will have forever because of our adoption. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says, This is an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. I've been praying lately with a woman who is very close to death. And anytime I've ever had that experience, you, you walk into that room, they're laying there in their bed, and, and you're praying with them, and you're, you, you can't help but kind of put yourself 
in their situation and, and put yourself in their shoes and thinking about what it must be like to be maybe within a few breaths of leaving this life. And it sure changes your perspective on life. And you realize that everything that, that you and everybody around you is valuing and treasuring and living for and working for and striving for means nothing in that moment. What means everything is whether you have the inheritance in Christ, whether you're a child of God, and whether death is just the, the gateway to the fulfillment of your inheritance. That's what's important. And you may be a few breaths away from that moment in your life. You have no idea right now. It's not in your control. The one thing we do keep from this life, the one, there's only one thing that you keep from this life when you die, and that's the relationship you've made in Christ. Certainly a relationship with the Lord, but I'm talking about your relationship with other believers, and that's the third part. That's part of our inheritance, but it's, it's a, we have an eternal family. You're not only adopted into this great relationship with God as your father, but as a secondary blessing, you get all these great relationships for here and even better in eternity. James Montgomery Boyce points out that in this passage that we read in, in Romans 8, verses 12 to 17, all the pronouns are plural. He wants us to think about the fact that we are adopted as a family. We tend as Americans to always think as individuals, but scriptures always talk to us in the context of being in a family. All the pronouns, pronouns here are plural. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, Paul says. The voice goes on to say, therefore, those who are led by the Spirit of God are our true brothers and sisters. We are part of the same divine family. And what a family it is. Every tribe, every race, every social class, Every kind of person. In Galatians 5, it says that because we are sons of God, we are heirs. The, the promise is given to Abraham. But he goes on to say, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. This family of God transcends all ethnicities, all social classes, all genders, all types of earthly separations that we might experience. It's all meaningless in the family of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, We are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And since we all understand that we are children, our status here as children of God is by grace alone, and we did nothing to earn it. None of us deserves to be here. That means there's no place for pride. There's no place for division. There's no place for exclusivity. We're all here by grace. We're all here on the same basis. And these relationships will last forever. Think about that for a minute. You can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. We're family. And it's hard to get along as sin still dwells in all of us. But the good news is we're, if the Holy Spirit's within us, the spirit of adoption is going to keep conforming us and we're all going to get better and better. And then one day we'll all be perfect. And then being in the family of God is going to be a really joyful thing for all eternity. It's crucial to your self-identity as a Christian that you are an adopted child of God. It has huge implications for how you think, how you look at the world, and how you're going to live today and tomorrow and beyond. 
It shapes your life. It's a really important doctrine. I urge you to dig into it. I heard this story about an adoptive family, a family that adopted a young boy. They had this, this set of parents. They had one son that was their biological son. His name was Mark. And then they adopted a little boy named Tommy. And as Tommy got older, finally got to the age where his father felt he could understand what it meant to be adopted. And, and so he sat him down and explained that he had been adopted. He explained to him how they had prayed about receiving him long before they knew him, how they uh, worked so hard, had to go through so much paperwork, so much effort, spend so much money and effort in order to meet the legal requirements in order to adopt Tommy. They talked about how they had to wait such a long time and just were so anxious to have him come and be a part of their family and then talked about this great party that they and all their friends and relatives had when, when Tommy came into the family and explained to him what it meant to be adopted. And Tommy heard that whole story and he got a big smile on his face and he said, wow, that's great. Can we adopt Mark too? It's incredible to be adopted by God, isn't it? J.I. Packer says the New Testament gives us two yardsticks to measure the love of God. One is the cross. The other is adoption. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, How great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You see, I would love for all of us, in one way or another, if, if you're not going to do foster care, you're not going to adopt a child, be a part of these support groups that we're working on here at Oakwood to support the families that are adopting and doing foster care. It's an incredible ministry. But I want you to do it because you're so filled with joy and thankfulness and, and, and love because of the love that was first shown to you. Don't do it because somebody twists your arm. Do it because you want to be able to express what a joy it is to you to be an adopted child of God and to live out the gospel in that very clear, powerful way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. We have so far to go to begin to truly plumb the depths of what your love really is, what you've done for us, who you are to us, the privileges, the status that you've given to us. Lord, help us to dig deeper into your word. And by the power of your spirit, the spirit of adoption, drive into us deeply what it means to be a child of God by grace and how that should impact our lives and the lives of those around us. Thank you, Lord, for Christ, who's made all this possible. In his name we pray, amen.